This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. I'm ready. Oh, we're okay. Adam's like, I was already recording. Okay. So, welcome to Literary Briefs, the follow-up podcast to Drinking with Authors. It's the same podcast. It's on the same channel. I don't know why I say it like that. Okay, I'm your host, Erica Lance, and with me today is... Valerie Willis, and our guest today is... Jeff Strand, drinking the same can of Red Bull. your audience cheering in the background, Jeff? It's actually just my cat who is staring disinterestedly out the window. Yes. (laughs) I, I warned you that that cat would not protect you when it came down. To no, things. no, <laughs> no. Uh, a comedian once described them as apathetic roommates. Apathetic roommates. Apathetic roommates who bite you every once in a while. Yes, that's that's very true. I have cat. My cat's an asshole. I'd say that to everybody when people ask. I'm like, she's just, she's like, hi. I want to be in the same room with you, but I'm actually not interested in you. But I'll let you know if I suddenly decide I am. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, is there something wrong with my mic, Adam? Because you're staring at it weirdly. Okay. Oh, sorry. I wasn't talking in the right place oh, on the mic. No. no. Oh. oh, it's backwards. Oh, am I still talking? It does it matter. Okay, sorry. He's OCD adjusting my mic. Apparently, it's the wrong way. Even though we it's, recorded it's the whole only... podcast that way. Okay, are you going to let it go? Our podcast consigliere. It's, it's only because Erica set that mic up. <laughs> yeah, no, I did. You shouldn't let me touch things. Okay, this is rapid fire questions. We're yes. not talking rapid fire. First rapid fire question. Ready? What is your favorite book? Probably Boy's Life by Robert McCammon. Oh, why is that your favorite book? Because it pretty much covers everything. It's it's a comedy. It's a mystery. It's it makes you cry. It it just covers every possible emotion and genre in one book. And he's a horror author, but he veered from it for that book. And it at the time I haven't reread it, but when I first read, it, I was like, my God, that is the best book I've ever read. And what? And is I'm not that? alone. That's not a outlier opinion there are a lot of people who think it is the best book ever that's okay you don't have to be with the cool kids jeff that's fine because even if you weren't you're still the coolest i would rather have come up with some completely obscure thing where people say wow that's an edgy choice but no i picked the book that a lot of other people think is if if it was super obscure you would have you might have thought wow that's an edgy choice and we would have gone what? What? <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're tell us more. Okay. The follow-up to that wonderful question is... Is, what book did you hate? <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> ha- okay. Well, part of it is that I'm not... Since I'm no longer in school, I'm not required to finish books. Okay. So if a book really sucks, I'm done. I get to abandon it quickly. What has also happened is, you know, I... um did a Goodreads review on a book, and I said, that is the stupidest ending I have ever read in my life. And so my review was, this book has the stupidest ending I have ever read in my entire life. And now I'm good friends with the author, and so it's like, this is kind of awkward. <laughs> so pretty much if I say, oh, man, this book was garbage, at that point they will reach out and say, hey, I'm a big fan of your work. Let's be friends. And I'll say, oh, no, I hope they never listen to the Drinking with Authors podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> but actually, it's mostly because, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's mostly just because I don't read bad books because or I don't finish bad books. If a book is bad in the first chapter, it's like, hey, this is voluntary. I get to read whatever I want. And so I move on to the next because I'm not in school where they say, OK, you're going to read Wuthering Heights, whether you like it or not. And it's like, I really <laughs> don't like it. Well, too bad. You're going right to read Mark it to the end and be here. tested on it. So. No, it's true. It's interesting. I have to say, so my my daughter, she's now 21. In high school, she came home and she's like reading Twilight, which was fine. And I'm like, Wait, didn't you already read this book? And she goes, yeah, I'm reading it for school. I have to do a book report. And I'm like, how the hell did you get to read Twilight? Like, I had a list of books that were required Only reading. Allowed. I can guarantee Twilight's not on that freaking list of books. And she goes, the teacher doesn't care what book you read. As long as you prove that you've read it and you didn't, like, plagiarize somebody's book report on it. Yep. And I was like, well, where, where was that when I was a kid? I know. I yeah, know. that would have been great. my English teacher to read uh, James Clavell's Gaijin because I was really into Samurais. <laughs> and it was a historical fiction. She's like, there's no way. I'm like, I've already started this book. I'm halfway through. Just let me use this as the book report. <laughs> Did it work? Yes. Oh, well, no. You're a different generation than me and Jeff. Yeah, we didn't it, get to do that. No, you. it was either a required book itself or they gave you a list of books. None of them got it. Although I did end up reading To Kill a Mockingbird because of that. And I actually very much enjoyed it. It's not like my favorite book of all time. Um, my favorite book of all time is actually Ender's Game. Oh, that's a good one. By Orson Scott Card. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. I had a hard time putting that one down. Okay. I mean, sometimes in college you get the good ones. You'll get, or in school, you'll get, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird's a good book. Um, Lord of the Flies is oh, a good, good book. But then it would be like, this book is cubism. And it's basically the same thing happening over and over with slight variations. Like, this is horrible. This is unreadable. But you have to read it all the way through and then take a test on it and... Generally, I didn't get to read stuff that I would consider my favorites in school. No, that makes sense. I, I'm right there with you. Do you um, always review the books you read? No, I almost never do. I tend to, I usually don't even give it a star rating. It's like in that particular book, I was so angry. I was like, this is a because <laughs> it was a great book up to that point, which is why I didn't bail. It wasn't like a terrible book with a terrible ending it was a great book that was just you've got to be kidding me so i review that one but for the most part i don't i just log it and move on which is part of the reason i don't you know have really a good answer for what's the worst book i've ever read because i don't you know i'm not a reviewer i don't generally make that big a deal out of individual books i've read unless i'm like oh you have to read this this is awesome but and so for the most um, part, it's just click finished and then move on to the next one. So, so you've mentioned that you hate it when the ending ruins a good book. Is that your particular pet peeve as a reader, or is there something that bugs you even more than that? As far as stuff that bugs you even more than that, I think it's mostly it's a, just a real general. And I thought there was something wrong with me because for a while I would pick up a book and it's like, wow, I don't remember. I hope this isn't like a mental issue because I can't remember anything that's happening here. And then I picked up another book and it's like, I, 
I don't remember any of the characters. What is going on? And then I read a good book and a full recall. It's like, no, I'm just reading uninteresting books. <laughs> so That's usually a good sign like, there. It's like if it's a good book, I remember the characters. I remember what happened 10 chapters back. I pick up on all the little details. But there aren't that many pet peeves. One interesting thing is that I can I'm not one of those authors who can't read a book because you're so, you know, oh, I see what they're doing here. I see the technical aspects. I see all the behind the scenes stuff. I can still read a book as a book. Mm-hmm. So if it's a good story, even if the prose is kind of clunky, it I can go through it just fine. Do you ever have you have a lot of author friends? Uh, I, I'm one of them. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm friends with Jeff. Well, I'm friends with you, so I'm one person away. Yeah, you're one degree of separation. <laughs> but um, do you ever have author friends that ask you to read their books, and then you encounter that situation where you're like, "This is not good." All the time. <laughs> and it's always it's always the dread of please let this one be good please let this one be good please let this one be good and what, sometimes it's not and do you finish it or do you put it down and you are just pleasant with them it it varies sometimes I will just ghost them and just not you know <laughs> so and sometimes like, I that's what happened. <laughs> Sometimes I will just switch to the skim method, and oh, yeah. sometimes I will read it all the way through and say, hey, here's what I thought. It kind of depends on the context. If they were asking for a specific blurb for a published book, or if it was, can you offer your insight on a book that isn't completely finished yet? Or It depends on, and how close the friend is, because you'll also get, you know, Dear Mr. Strand, I hear your books are quite good and in the same genre as mine. Will you read this book and offer me a blurb? And there I'm not quite as, you know, invested in the process as I am if it's someone I know pretty well who's like, hey, could you do me a favor? That makes sense. Will you blurb people's books even if you start reading them and you don't like them? Yeah, that's a good question. Generally not. That's where you just kind of don't send the blurb. It's very rare that, you know, you say, yes, I promise, and I will have you a blurb on this specific date. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, I'm you taking should, some tips here. Yeah, so yeah, when yeah, the next yeah, horror book like, comes out, if I send it to Japanese, like, I'm super busy. I'm going to be like, <laughs> okay, cool. He cool. hated it. He hated it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you do like Eric Decker's and be like, uh, Either give me the blurb or an autograph and <laughs> get a constellation prize. Yes. You should tell them. You should just send them a signed picture yeah, of you from now on when that happens. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> That's what usually what? happens, I always, because, and this isn't like a lie. This It's always true. I'm way behind on blurbs. So it's always, hey, I'm unreliable and it will take a while. So. No, that's if true. you need a blurb for your book that's coming out next week, I'm not the guy. No, totally. Would, what advice would you give um, writers who are out there that are starting that sort of want to kind of idolize what life you now have? What advice would you give them? In 2020, I would say kind of be prolific because, you know, there was a time when you could knock out a novel a year and do fine. 
but now the market is much more saturated and kind of now it's completely different. If you're traditionally published and you have a good agent who's getting you big advances, that is the way to go. But these days it's probably more realistic to think that you're going to do more of an independent published type thing. And a book, unless you're doing insanely successful, a book a year isn't going to do it. So it's kind of, you know, the people who are doing really well in indie publishing are the ones who are, you know, cranking out books at a pulp fit. You know, the when people in the 30s were writing the pulp novels, they were knocking them out really fast for low rates. And that's kind of, to some degree, what you're doing here is you just have to learn to write fast, but still good. That's the other part of it is that, you know, I have to bring my A game to every book because if people, you know, I'm pretty prolific. And if people say, wow, he's just cranking these out without caring if they're any good or not that, you know, it doesn't take that much to lose a loyal reader. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're like, wow, I enjoyed his past few books, but this was garbage. He didn't even care anymore. Why should I buy his next book instead of the book of somebody else? So it's like be prolific, but also, you know, you have to maintain a high level of quality and you kind of have to do it yourself because you don't have an, you know, a publisher saying, nope, we're going to pass on this one because it's not up to your standards. You have to make that determination yourself. No, that, that totally makes sense. And it's very true. I think we've all encountered that if we've read very uh, famous authors and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I've talked about that a little bit where, the latter parts of their series can kind of go off the rails and you're a little bit invested, but you get to a point where you're like, what in the hell is this crap? You know? Yeah. Yep. No, that makes, that makes total sense. As far as go ahead, I would love to do a book a year, but if I did a book a year, the next time I'm on this podcast, you'd be like, so Jeff, what's it like having your desk job again? And I'm like, it sucks. (laughs) So, so how many books a year do you do? It, Usually ends up being three or four. It it varies, and it kind of depends if traditional published books are stuck in there. What will happen is the traditionally published and the self-published ones will sort of come out at the same time, and it looks like I'm just the most insanely productive writer ever. Like 2016 was just this insane year, and then 2017 sort of balanced it out. But in 2016, I looked like I was just a machine. So, But it averages... <laughs> three or four. I think last year was four. This year will probably be a extremely prolific year. So that means something's coming out. So do you, when you're writing, do you ever find that you have any um, habits that are interesting? So, you know, one of the, we talk a lot to authors and they have habits or they have words that they use repetitively or, they tend to say the a lot, Valerie. The bad habits. Yeah, the bad habits that they do. Do you find that you have any of those kind of habits? I use the word just too often. I don't know why, but the word just, I'm always conscious of, oh, use the word just again. Let's just, just like Erica and realized, everyone's realizing yeah. things and things are just. And I have a sentence structure where it's like, the cat was nice, but he bit you a lot. I kind of, the comma, but pops up. A lot, and I'm very. So is that what you of, have to go control find when you get done writing? <laughs> control find the word just. I don't generally do the control find. I'm just aware of it as I'm doing. You know, my I t- edit a lot as I go, 
So I'm definitely not a get the first draft done and worry about fixing it later. I'm a let's fix it now kind of writer. So pretty much by the time I type the end, aside from one more really slow, careful proofread, the book is done because I'm always, you know, sort of looping back and fixing stuff. So the stuff like just and comma, but I am aware of as I'm going back through, you know, what I wrote the previous day or as I'm writing, it's like, okay, gotta, gotta be aware of that. No, that makes sense. What about um, editing? Let's, let's talk about about editing. editing. One of our favorite topics. So I'm assuming even with yourself published, you have an editor. I don't have an editor. What I, I have a group of five or six beta readers. So, like, whereas I'm really bad at coming up with cover ideas, I'm really good at self-editing. So, you know. Yes, I'm jealous. You know, my editor at Sourcebooks was like, these are the cleanest manuscripts I've ever seen in my entire career. So, you know, they still find stuff because you'll there'll be typos where you read what you meant to write instead of what you did write, and you go over it a dozen times and you still don't see that you left out a word because your mind is just popping it in there. But I also try, you know, I change the font when I do my final proofread. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Hey, I've been reading this entire book in times new Roman, but now it's in courier new. Now it looks different. And now I don't, my mind doesn't fill in as many of the gaps as it, did before. I've so, recommended that to a lot of people because I'm a very visual person in general and everything I do. So everyone's mm-hmm. like, how do you go about self-editing? And I'm like, when I go to start that first round, unlike you, I, I, I bang it out and then I prepare for that next, I switch hats kind of scenario because Eric can vouch, I have a hard time focusing as it is. Shiny objects. <laughs> So, uh, and that's exactly what I do is I'll change the font size and like change from serif to sans serif. So from Times New Roman to Arial or Helvetica and break that. So I I feel like I'm reading it for the first time. No, I think that's actually really good advice because, you know, from editor friends, they get handed sort of a giant pile of crap sometimes. And you go, did you, did you reread this? You have to get out of your head when you're reading it. So to the, you know, what we brought up on the earlier podcast, your British actor version of doing this obviously pays off, though, of doing it from a technical standpoint versus being like immersed as the method character of your story. Crying like Val. Yeah. Yeah. So and, you know, I'll start off each day. I'll reread what I wrote before and I'll hit various points where I'll say, all right, I'm halfway through. Let's start from the beginning and see how this is working out. And so I'm, and I have a separate file of just notes where it's like, if it's something I don't necessarily feel like dealing with at that moment where it's like, okay, I don't know if he's actually out of bullets or not. So I'll take a note, verify number of bullets. And then when I go back, there's like, okay, he shot here, he shot here, he shot here, he shot here. But so I'm doing Thank that as I go. Thank you for doing that so, from every reader that reads a book and goes, how does your six-bullet revolver have 24 bullets in it? Uh, yep. Yeah, there's a, a local author, Kristen Durfee, and she's a gun forensic. And she's like, I can't watch NCIS. And they scream because it drives her crazy. Like, why are you doing taking the gun out of the water? <laughs> she, like, loses her mind. <laughs> yep. Do you do research for your books, Jeff? Uh, it depends on the book. So 
sometimes I'll have to do preliminary research depending on what the story is. Like for Ferocious, it's about two people in a cabin and the undead uh, animals are surrounding it and they have to get out to the car that is stuck in the mud five miles, three miles away that they abandoned. So there I had to kind of figure out, okay, what kind of animals would correctly be in the woods here so that I'm not, you know, messing with the actual nature that would exist there. There's a zombie giraffe. And you- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I did that. Um, it, but that's, it's kind of that kind of stuff. You know, I don't tend to do science-based thrillers where I have to do, you know, really elaborate research. You know, sometimes it'll, for the most part, I do the Google search research as it comes up where it's like, okay, I don't actually know what kind of police officer they would dispatch to something like this. So then you have to go online and do that sort of research. But as far as the, I spent six weeks in the library exhaustively researching the subject matter before I started writing it. That's not generally what I do because I'm not generally doing those kind of books. He's not no, he's not addicted to research like I am because no. you, you mentioned the wrong thing in front of me and you get a two-hour lecture out of me. No, that's true. But what was interesting is one of your books that I love is called Blister. And right. it um, is set, and I'm going to try to do this justice, but jump in at any point in time that I'm not. It's about a girl, and she's actually living in kind of like a shed thing, right? But right. he put it in the, like the 80s, if I recall correctly, before there were cell phones and stuff like that. Oh, before right. there was a certain level of technology, because the story wouldn't have worked if there were cell phones right. at all. Right. It was more social media, because the point is that she lives by herself and is kind of this outcast and the town legend and lives a miserable existence. Whereas in, if it took place in the year where I was writing it, she would have been on Facebook all the time and she just wouldn't have been posting pictures of herself, but she could have had something like a social life. She wouldn't have been, you know, she would have been one of those people who's just on Facebook 16 hours a day, just not posting pictures of herself. So yeah, it needed to take place in the eighties for that. And I, I and I thought that was very interesting because I think some people, you know, take for granted. Like I actually rewatched Buffy the Vampire Slayer a couple of years ago, and I realized this show would completely not have worked if cell phones existed. Yep. Because yep. most of the show was, where are the other characters? We can't find them. They're in trouble. You know, we're going to now have to investigate this town to go find them. And it's interesting when um, that's not handled correctly in a story because that itself even if you don't realize there's a little bit of research of when could this have happened where it wouldn't be as simple as right. picking up their iPhone and FaceTiming what the hell was going on. And we said but I also, a lot you know, like stranger things. Yep. But I kind of didn't want to do the stranger things approach because right. it took place in the eighties, specifically in the eighties. You know, I grew up in the eighties. I love the eighties, but I didn't want to go with that usual. Look, there's a Rubik's cube. Hey, remember Rubik's cubes? We all loved Rubik's cubes. Hey, this guy's in a Michael Jackson jacket, and now they're listening to Thriller on the radio. I didn't want to do any of that. I kept, you know, I made sure everything was consistent with the year, but I threw in as few 80s references as possible because those can be overdone. I think. 
Well, that's true. And I think that ends up to stereotypes. Uh Like you do that sort of thing. And that's the stereotype of the 80s. And for those of us that lived in it, not Val, um, that's... uh, (laughs) I was born. Yeah. But that's not what the 80s was necessary. That wasn't everything that was the 80s was Uh not thriller. Although I did have a thriller jacket. I'm not going to lie about that. (laughs) But also from... um, what I, I understand of Blister is that she wasn't socializing, so she wouldn't have access to most of those 80s memorabilia type of right. rock so it would be very out of place. Absolutely. And it was also fun because the main character is a cartoonist, and so I, you know he's a really successful cartoonist, but he was a newspaper guy, which in the 80s, if you were a successful cartoonist, it was because your strip was in thousands of newspapers and I kind of wanted to write about that experience as opposed to now where your strip would be mostly online and newspapers are slowly dying. They are slowly dying. We've had a couple of, uh, we had, um, Tamara Lush on the show and she's an AP writer and she talks about, it's interesting because she talks about her, the eminent demise of her being a journalist sometime soon, the way she is, it's 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 interesting how that has changed so dramatically. Did you ever do any journalism, or has it always been fiction? Uh, generally fiction. I took a one journalism class in high school and didn't particularly like it. I'm much more of an introvert, so you know the idea of knocking on someone's door to interview them to get the story is completely out of anything I'd want to do. I'm like, no, I don't want to socialize like that so what is one of your favorite stories that you've written i would blister is at the top so um cyclops road is also one of my favorites of my books so i think generally when i'm asked what's your favorite of your books it's a tie between blister and cyclops road and why do you feel that way about those ones I think Blister probably best exemplifies what my book's about because it covers a lot of different tones. It's not really a horror novel. It's not really a mystery. It's not really a romance. It's not really comedy. It kind of mixes all those elements together. And kind of the same, Cyclops Road, I think I like just because it's my most epic book, which I tend to write short books. So by normal standards, it's not that long a book, but by my standards, it's, you know, my epic and i think it's i like the character i think it's got some of my best characters you know it's funny but it's also a big scale adventure story with horror elements to it so i kind of enjoy that stuff i like the ones that are really cross on i'm really proud of sick house sick house is unapologetically a horror novel well it is called sick house so yeah so that one is pure <laughs> horror you know it's one of my favorites but it doesn't rank blister and cycle through just a little bit higher, probably because of the whole cross genre aspect. Well, it is very awesome. So your next book that's coming out is called Allison, correct? Correct. And that is about a girl with psychic abilities. Do you want to give the elevator pitch on that one for this particular version of the podcast? Yeah. It's basically a 45 year old woman who has telekinetic powers, you know, that basically involve breaking people's bones and she can't control them. So in moments of high emotion, horrible things happen around her, which has forced her to live in isolation. And then when she's forced to come out of that isolation, mayhem ensues. 
Oh, that sounds terribly. I've gotten a sneak peek at the cover of this book, oh. and it is amazing. It would totally draw me I'm in jealous. anyway. No, you'll. I'll have to show it to you, and we'll and we'll absolutely post about it on the podcast. Jeff, you haven't been an amazing guest. Thank you so much, and also yes. for being our first Skype guest. Yes, which has been Skype. awesome. First Skype. Um, yes. So, shameless self promotion. How does everyone find you? www.jeffstrand.com and you're very active on social media, very engaging too. So. I'm active on the old people's social media. So I am all over Facebook and Twitter. I have an Instagram account that I use, but as far as TikTok or any of the newfangled kid things, I don't know what those are. So those aren't shameless self promotion no, anyway. No, yeah. no, they're not. But you are very engaging with your fans too. So yes. when you become a fan of Jeff's, you can absolutely reach out to him. His favorite thing is if you dress like him and creep him out by following yeah. his with a mustache, around, red shirt, red shirt, yeah, mustache do it. around his college career. No, just kidding. <laughs> she's gonna listen to this and go. What? <laughs> I thought it was funny. It was other people saying that's a little creepy. Does that unnerve you? Like. Didn't completely harmless. She didn't show up at your house. Honestly, I think as um, a fan of some things, you can get very engaged with the person and be very happy because you're bringing moments of happiness to that person's Mm -hmm. life. So if those are the moments of happiness and she wants to follow your trail, as long as she doesn't show up at your house, that's cool. Note to self: He's got a cat named Chaos, terrifyingly large cat. I would put it in the category. Of cats. A very apathetic. So, Jeff, thank you so much for being with us. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And this has been Literary Briefs, Drinking with Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. And I'm your co-host, Valerie Willis. And our amazing guest again has been Jeff Strand. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Jeff, thank you for...